Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, our guest will be Dr. Joe Nowinski, who is a co-author of the book Almost Alcoholic. He's also the primary author of the Project Match 12-Step Facilitation Therapy Manual. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting all together, and our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available from Amazon, and for more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Uh, tonight, it is May 17th of 2012. Our guest is Dr. Joseph Nowinski. He's right here with us. Joe, how are you doing this evening? Great, great. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's great to have you on the show. Um, it was really interesting to me to see that a book that's published by Hazelden is actually talking about moderate drinking. It's talking about uh, problem drinking as opposed to alcoholism and uh, talking about a continuum of drinking problems. This is, uh, this is quite a turnaround from uh, the earlier stance of Hazelden, isn't it? Well, yeah, I guess, you, I guess they'd have to speak for themselves. I mean, the book has been is co-published by Hazelden and Harvard. And, uh, yes, indeed, Hazelden is, is, is my publisher, and they've certainly in the past published um, a lot of material, very good material for people who um, want to stop drinking. And, in fact, the uh, 12-step facilitation program that you mentioned uh, was developed for Project Match. And, you know, the goal um, for that was to help people who wanted to stop drinking. Um, so it is perhaps something new for Hazelden, um, but I'm not sure that it would be something that they would be totally inconsistent in the fact that, um, you know, if you read AA literature, I mean, it talks about, if you know, if you can stop, great, or if you can control your drinking, great. So, uh, But it's true. This is kind of a point of departure for them in terms of reaching out to a whole new group of people. Yeah, I don't think 30 years ago, 20 years ago, they would have been publishing this book. Uh, but uh, You might be right. I mean, they certainly started out uh, with the 12-step you know, model and uh, with AA, and, and I think 20, you know, 24 hours a day they published. And, and so, I mean, they got there. I mean, Hazelden began, as you, you probably know, as a treatment center in Minnesota for you know, people who were, you know, kind of, you know, uh, the failures, the people who weren't able to 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 stay sober. So clearly, I mean, their their roots are in that group of people, uh, you know, who had tried many times and failed to control or stop their drinking. So, I mean, that was that's that's their roots, and that's where I think probably most of their early, the bulk of their early publications are, you know, based in that. Okay, well, I'm going to jump right to this question. I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to do it at the at the start now. Uh, do you think that uh, harm reduction approaches and more conventional treatment approaches? Do you think they can work together? Do you think that there there's a movement uh, to get together now? Um, there was, you know, uh, go ahead. I hope so. I mean, I, I I certainly hope so. I can't you know say that that's going to happen, but I would hope it does. I mean, the key to what we did with Almost Alcoholic, and again, you know, my early work, a lot of my work has been in the area of helping people stay sober. And um, But, you know, I think that the more realistic way to look at drinking is not in terms of a category, not categorically, you know, you're alcoholic or you're not, meaning you're either dependent or you're okay. 
Um, but rather to really think of drinking in terms of this spectrum that we present in this book, Almost Alcoholic. And you know, certainly at one end of the spectrum is alcohol dependence. And for those people at that extreme end, who usually have tried many times and failed to you moderate or control, uh, probably the most sane alternative is to you know reach out for help in, in, in stopping drinking. But there's, there, there's a whole range of people you know, between there and the other end of the spectrum, which we kind of loosely call normal social drinking, you know, as defined by, you know, whatever, NAAAA or whatever, what would be considered um, low-risk or, or uh, minimal-risk drinking. Uh, but then there's this whole middle group of people who have kind of gone further than that, you know, further than that kind of low-risk drinking, but they're not alcoholics, they're not alcohol-dependent. And so that's a whole big group of people who, I think you're right. They're, they're, that that you know they probably or they do need help, uh, but abstinence is not necessarily uh, the goal for them. Well, I think even with a lot of people who are alcohol dependent, if they are not uh, successfully managing to abstain, um, it's it's a better strategy for them to at least try and be safe until they can find a way to successfully abstain. Or well, of some course, yes, that's, mm-hmm. of course. That's, I, I would have no argument with that. But, I, I mean, I, I think that's also true, really, in, 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 in the 12-step culture, which recognizes, you know, that people have slips and so forth. And the important thing is to kind of, like, re- reach out for help again. Um, and all of the strategies that, you know, I developed, you know, that are in al- almost alcoholic, are you know based on you know helping people to uh, to do what you're saying to 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 kind of get a best hold on it as they can. Hello. Hello. Oh, okay. Yeah, you there? Yeah. Sorry. I think we had a little click here, but okay. yeah. How did you come about? Uh, how did you come to write this book? How did this come? Well, about? well, I came to write this book. Basically, it's kind of interesting because uh, I have written a, a, a book. Uh, with for Harvard, you know, before, which has to do with helping uh, uh, cope with a loved one's terminal illness. And then I was speaking with the editor at, at, at Harvard, and I was speaking with my co-author, Rob Doyle. And really, it was Julie um, uh, at um, my editor at Harvard who brought up the kind of the basic idea of, do you think there are people that you know, kind of, kind of in this mid-range. You think there are people sort of in this gray zone, and you know that's been something that's been on my mind in the back of my mind for a long time, and and uh, it basically had to do with Project Match that I was involved in, and mm-hmm. one of the most interesting findings for me in Project Match that wasn't really spoken about much uh, in the literature was that the treatment programs like 12-step facilitation or cognitive behavioral therapy were found to work not only for people who were alcohol-dependent, but for people who were less than alcohol-dependent. In other words, the same the treatment programs worked. And the hypothesis was, interestingly, that, that the 12-step approach would work only for people who were alcohol-dependent. That if they weren't alcohol-dependent, it really wouldn't work that well. It wouldn't be that appropriate. That didn't turn out to be the case. So it always hung in my mind that, well, you know, if these interventions... <laughs> you know, work not only for people who are dependent, why why can't we apply them to people who are off of them, if you will, to people who are not dependent? 
And sort of the opportunity came along. Basically, that's what happened. The opportunity came along with Harvard and Hazelden. Um, and I jumped at it. I said, yes, this is something that's been on my mind for a long time, and let's write a book for all those people in the middle uh, because they're really in trouble in some ways. I mean, they are having some effects of their drinking, um, but they're not alcoholics, and maybe abstinence is not necessarily the goal for them. Well, what are some of the controlled drinking strategies that people can apply who are in this category? Well, we have we offer many different kinds of solutions. I mean, first of all, a person has to decide where they are, and that's where you know it takes some honest self-assessment. You know, and we offer some stuff in the book about that, uh, which is all research-based in terms of trying to assess your drinking. Are you you know, are you really on the kind of, you know, low-risk, minimal-risk social drinking end of the spectrum? Are you Have you drifted a little ways into this almost alcoholic zone because, for example, you've, you've, you've developed a habit of drinking to relieve stress over the last few years? Um, or maybe, you know, you're a widower and you've taken to drinking, you know, alone at night because you're lonely. Uh, so are you just a little ways into it, or are you much deeper into it? You know, and, and, that's, and that's something that individuals have to decide for themselves. We can't tell them, you know, how deep are you into this alcoholic, almost alcoholic zone. And then we offer strategies for people, and they vary, they vary a lot. They vary from um, making lifestyle changes. They vary in terms of maybe assessing your goals in life. Uh, maybe learning to deal with emotions like loneliness or uh, stress in a different way. Um, learning to some people need to develop drink refusal skills. You know, they they need to learn how to say no to friends at a certain point. You know, come up with reasonable reasons to say, you know, I only want one. Um, and so we offer a whole menu. And, and the reason is that there's no one particular root into this almost alcoholic zone, if you know what I mean. I mean not everybody mm-hmm. becomes an al- almost alcoholic for the same reason by any means. And nobody sets out to become an almost alcoholic. So we really need to offer a range of, of solutions. Uh, and like I said, anywhere from uh, coping skills to drink refusal skills to lifestyle changes to dealing with emotions differently. Uh, and people need to pick and choose what solutions you know, w- seem to be the best for them given their situation. Has there been a lot of uh, previous research on uh, the area of problem drinking that exists between social drinking and you know, alcohol dependence? There, there is, but you know, there is there is a body of research. I mean, certainly, you know, Alan Marlott has worked on you know relapse prevention work. Others have worked on problem drinking. Uh, of course, a lot of the research um, is is been focused pretty much understandably on people who are alcohol dependent or drug dependent. Most of the research, you know, in the area of alcohol and drug abuse has focused on, you know, the 22 million Americans who are dependent on alcohol or drugs. And, you know, that's where most of the, you know, research money has gone, understandably. So I think there's not been as much work um, as there as there could be on people who are, you know, much, you know, much less further along on that drinking spectrum that we described. Um, but again, the project match results, I think, were were, were very significant. That uh, interventions that were really designed for people who were dependent also help people who are less than dependent. 
Well, I know I've seen estimates that there are four times as many problem drinkers as there are people with alcohol dependence, so it seems like a huge body of people that can benefit from this help. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is there, too, Ken, that there's that even there you've got the issue of how do you define it because traditionally there's only been there are only three you know categories you know diagnostically one alcohol dependent mm-hmm. which is really severe uh, right then there's alcohol abuse which is pretty close to alcohol dependence and then there's sort of everybody else um, so there's you know and a lot of the people who uh, can use some help are really don't qualify for diagnosis of either dependence or abuse. So even though there may be, as you say, four times as many people who are alcohol abusers, we don't know how many people are less than that, you know, uh, but more than social drinkers. And these are people who are experiencing problems like maybe difficulty sleeping, low-grade depression. Uh, Maybe the doctor told them they're pre-diabetic. Maybe their job performance isn't exactly what it used to be. Maybe their family life isn't what it used to be. But they're not alcoholics by any means. And uh, a lot of these people come to therapists like me, for example, um, but they don't connect the dots between the problems that they're coming to to me for and uh, their drinking. Uh, A common example would be somebody who's saying, you know, uh, my job is stressful, uh, I'm feeling kind of kind of stressed and a little depressed, and I don't sleep so well. You know, so one way to look at that: well, this guy's de- you know depressed, and you know we should give him you know cognitive behavioral therapy and maybe an antidepressant. But you know, it's important to say: well, how much do you drink, and has that changed, say, over the last couple of years of your life? Because uh, somebody who may be having, say, one glass of wine or one beer a night uh, is one thing. But that may have crept up to three or four glasses of wine, you know, or three or four beers a night. And they may not make the connection between that and, one, their sleep problem, two, maybe the low-grade depression they're experiencing, maybe the, you know, the fact that, you know, they're not as sharp at work as they used to be. Um, That's a, you know, pretty typical kind of example. Mm -hmm. There's a really traditional idea that uh, that uh, alcoholism is a progressive disease. There has to be a progression until you hit bottom. And do you think that's true, or do you think early intervention strategies can stop people uh, before they have too many problems? Oh, I, I definitely agree with you, Ken. I think that early intervention strategies can work. And I don't think it has to be progressive. Sadly, it is progressive for people who uh, end up being alcoholics. I mean, you know, uh, again, no one sets out to be an alcoholic, and they don't become an alcoholic overnight. They really need to progress through this whole spectrum, if you will. But it's not inevitable by any means. But everyone who was an alcoholic was at some point an alcohol abuser, and before that they were an almost alcoholic, and before that they were someplace in the normal range. So it's not inevitable that that someone needs to to, to, to progress to that. But I think that the, the fact that we tend to think, like I said, categorically about this, you know, that either you're an alcoholic or you're not, has done a disservice to a lot of people because they think, well, if I'm not an alcoholic, then I'm okay. But that's not necessarily true. And if they if they kind of take an, a, you know, take an inventory of their drinking and connect that to maybe some issues that they may be having, then, yeah, then they have a, a great opportunity to turn back. And... That doesn't mean that they need to, to, to set abstinence as their goal. It means that they may be able to turn back, use strategies to turn back and, and move back, if you will, 
on the spectrum back toward normal or low-risk low drinking. Okay, that sounds good. I'm going to move on to the next topic because I want to ask you some things about Project Match. Because um, I, I bought a copy of the 12-step facilitation therapy manual. I don't suppose wow. you sell Yeah, you don't sell as many of these as you do the Elmo book. Yeah. (laughs) But because I I went through a 12-step treatment program myself, and, you know, one of the things that really stood out was the the, the 12-step facilitation therapy, the TSF. I'm going to do the shortcut. It's really different than what I experienced in many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, One thing was... um, we always had group therapy. Uh, no one was allowed to talk one-on-one to a counselor. It was basically forbidden. It, it had to be like a group of about 30 people. And I saw wow. this was all one-on-one counseling. And then the other difference I really noticed was in uh, my treatment experience, anyone that relapsed was basically kicked out of the program. Relapse meant discharge. That, and makes, really, that really makes no sense that maybe is saying, you know, you, you you can't be in this addiction program because you're an addict. But it's very common. Um, it's still. Uh, I guess it is. I I I I think it is, and and uh, that's unfortunate, you know. And um, I, I really think that's a total. Uh, personally, I think that's a total misunderstanding of the whole twelve step model. Uh, I mean, you know, if you you know, AA talks about you know things like progress, not perfection. It talks about. All kinds of things. I mean, people are always welcomed back into 12-step meetings when they've relapsed. No one says, you know, well, you relapsed, get out of here. And I don't know why treatment programs feel that that's an appropriate intervention. So I'm really sorry that you had that experience, but I, 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 think it's, I don't think it's consistent with the 12-step model, and I don't think it's good treatment. Well, there were many things in the manual I saw that I thought were really good ideas. Uh, One of the things was um, the measurement, the standard of measurement was not how many people were perfectly, totally abstinent for the rest of their life, but, you know, was there a reduction in drinking days? Was there a reduction in severity of problems? That seems very rational. It's a very harm reduction approach, of course. Right. Well, I think that's true. I think I I think that the you know we set out when a twelve step facilitation, basically because the people who were recruited you know had serious alcohol problems. So so we said you know the goal will be for you to to abstain from alcohol. We never got into the issue of abstain for the rest of your life or whatever. But but basically right now, given the fact that you know you're here and and alcohol has caused you some serious problems, you know our goal is to help you abstain. So even though that was the goal, again, consistent with, you know, really, I think, 12-step philosophy, uh, what was measured was was not only abstinent days, but how many times people drank, how much they drank when they drank. And that counts. That counts. I have to say that people who went through 12-step facilitation, more a higher percentage of those people did abstain uh, from, from alcohol, but not all of them abstained. But a great majority of them had, you know, drastically reduced drinking, and mm-hmm. to me, that's that counts. Yeah, one of the other things I was noticing, um, 
people were encouraged to talk about their slips. They were uh, encouraged to value every day of abstinence that they had. It was not consecutive days, and you know that's one of the things that you know we right. also got beat into beat into our heads in treatment was you know if you have one drink you've lost all your time. It doesn't matter if you've had twenty years, you're back to zero. And it was a very different approach in the manual here. Well. Well, thank you. I mean, that's 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 what I believe. I mean, I think that that um, that's what it's all about. I mean, reinforcing. You know, if someone um, started treatment and you said, "How many sober days did you have this week?" and they said seven. I mean, so how many days did you drink this week? and they said seven. I said, "Okay, well, let's work on that." And then next week, if they came in and they said, "Well, they were sober four days," that's great. Four days is is good. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the days when you when you when you drank, but let's not scold you for the time that you drank or say that you know it, it, you know your your quote recovery unquote doesn't count because w- what if you had six sober days and you came in and you told me well you drank you know the day before yesterday well I'm going to say well you know the other six don't count uh, I mean that doesn't make any sense to me and I don't know why treatment programs you know would take that approach. One other thing I want to ask: um, Did anybody look at how do I say this? The, the religious factor. Did they ask? Do atheists do better with the cognitive behavioral approach as a as opposed to the twelve step spiritual approach? Yeah, they did look at that, and they didn't really find in Project Match that it mattered a lot. But what they did find was that. Um, you know, it depends on how you define, you know, religion or spirituality. Um, you know, in, in designing the 12-step program, I, I defined it in, well, the, I guess the way I think of spirituality, which has to do with, with values like hope, uh, belief, in, uh, belief in, say, uh, something more than your personal willpower. It doesn't have to be a god. It can be, um, it could be you know, an, a friend. It could be a sponsor. It could be an AA group. But basically... A belief that you know sometimes you need to reach out to others. Um, another spiritual, uh, you know, belief is hope. You know, because many people are hopeless when they're alcoholic. Um, what we did find was that uh, because the twelve-step facilitation therapists talked about those things, uh, the clients they worked with tended to express those beliefs more. I don't know how much that contributed, honestly, to their recovery. I really don't know. But it, it could simply be because the people who were doing cognitive behavioral therapy just didn't talk about that stuff. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, I do think things like hope, uh, you know, having hope that you can recover, that life can be better, um, a belief that sometimes, you know, uh, just individual willpower isn't enough to overcome a problem. I think those are important uh very important i'm not sure how much uh you know belief in 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 god per se is is important in terms of recovery uh, i remember when i was uh, going through my 12 step treatment program because i i like to ask a lot of questions about things i had some of my fellow clients there making the the sign of the right. cross every time they saw me really thought, <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, um, well, I wanted to ask you also, because um, a lot of, well, there's a 
ton of 12-step uh, treatment centers in the U.S. Uh, there's estimates right. it's 95% of all treatment or that 90%. Um, and, you know, a lot of them want to say, well, Project Match proves that the 12-step treatment is effective. But unless they're doing the same treatment that you did in the manual, we really don't know if what they're doing is effective or not. Is that right? You're right, Ken. Absolutely right. Uh, I've visited many uh, 12-step uh, programs. And sometimes, to be perfectly honest, some people who say they're doing 12-step facilitation aren't doing 12-step facilitation. Just like some people say they're doing motivational enhancement therapy, and you know, when you look closely, they're really not. Oh yeah. Uh, I I I uh, visited one treatment center. I was consultant in uh, to an adolescent program in in uh, Florida, which will remain nameless, which said that they were a 12-step oriented program where they took adolescents and kept them for six to nine months in this quote 12-step oriented program. I sat down with with this bunch of adolescents. I said, "So, how many AA meetings do you have here? Uh, we don't have any AA meetings here." <laughs> What's the response? You know, so just because someone says that they're twelve step oriented doesn't, you know, doesn't mean they are. And um, unless they're really using a treatment like TSF, you know, as it's designed, um, you know, you really can't assume that they're doing twelve step facilitation. Uh, and, you know, that's okay if they want to do that. But a lot of people say that they're 12-step oriented. But, well, you had that experience yourself. Was the program you went to saying that it was 12-step oriented? Mm-hmm. And yet they would kick people out for, for, for relapsing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's true, as you said, with the programs that say that they are motivational interviewing, and then you uh, – you go and talk to them and say, well, how do you use motivational interviewing? They say, well, we motivate people by locking them in their rooms for three days if they're bad. And it's, right. it's like, what? <laughs> right. Or, or, or another another one I've heard is we motivate them by telling them that we're going to call their probation officer if they don't show up for treatment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what Bill Miller has in mind for, for, for MET. In fact, I know it because I, I know him fairly well. Well, do you think is there any um, is there any movement uh in the United States today to bring the 12 step facilitation into these treatment programs to see that you know they are actually doing a quality treatment instead of just anything that they please? Yes, and there is, but it's but but you know it varies. I mean, I I've, I've consulted to the Veterans Administration for example, and uh, the Veterans Administration is organized into kind of regional centers, and I've done several of those and trained therapists and then done not only trained them, in, you know, didactically, but then did clinical supervision to see that they were following the TSF model. But that would be true for anything like MET and cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, that, that if you actually can go in and train people and do clinical supervision, then you have some confidence that they're, that they're implementing the treatment as as you know, as it's, as it's intended, uh, but there's there's plenty of treatment centers out there. I think that say that they're doing uh, a 12-step oriented treatment, or maybe even 12-step facilitation. But there's no way to tell that they really are. Yeah, I've heard some from some of my colleagues in the VA that they have had uh, really good improvements in their programs in recent years, um, and the people working there are very happy with them. Yeah, I think so. I think that they've been moving towards evidence-based treatments in the VA, uh, not only with, say, say 12-step facilitation, but with uh, 
PTSD treatment and other treatments. And um, it's really been very interesting. It's been very gratifying to see, you know, very, you know, they have very skilled therapists. There's some very skilled therapists in the VA. But sometimes they're not necessarily following, you know, an evidence-based treatment. And and once you you know they get a chance to do that, uh, even though sometimes they're kind of resistant to the idea, or I don't want to follow a manual, uh, they they really discover that wow, it really does help treatment a lot, and 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 the response has been very positive uh, to that. So I'm encouraged, and you know I'm I'm hoping you know one is that there is sort of this as you mentioned earlier this this kind of meeting of the minds a little bit more between the harm reduction people and the, you know, the 12-step people and trying to reach out to all those people who are in the middle. And I'm also hoping that as time goes on, maybe more people, more clinics will really start to embrace, you know, evidence treatments, evidence-based treatments like TSF or MET, um, you know, as they're designed to be used. Okay, well, it looks like we're running out of time. I want to thank you very much for being our guest tonight, Dr. Joe Nowinski. You're very welcome. It's it's great the time went by fast. It did go by fast. And everyone, come back in two weeks. I'm going to take next week off. In two weeks, we're going to have Pamela Smith-Bell, who's going to be talking about narrative therapy and harm reduction. And I'll see you all then. Good night.